This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, the people in this room, for the men and women who are here. And I ask, Lord, that you would use me however you see fit. Lord, once again, I hide myself behind the cross because that's the only safe place for me. And that's the only safe place for them. So, Lord, speak to us. Share with us, Lord, the things that you want to talk to us about transgenderism. Give us more insight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to let you know, if you have your pen, write this phone number down. We're going to have a powerful Q&A session on Sabbath afternoon. We invite you to come. Last year we had, Wayne said, over 1,200 people in the Q&A. So we're only going to address the questions that you submit And so if you'll just write this phone number down that you can text your questions to, you'll have complete anonymity. I think I said that right, Wayne, right? And so here's the number, 605-786-8206. Let me give it to you again. 605-786-8206. Carson is working on getting us some video feed. Our discussion today is about transgender versus transformation. And so I want to talk about how in the media we are being constantly bombarded by transgender issues. We know, of course, the most popular one, the most famous one is, is Bruce Jenner, of course, and the transformation that he made as a woman, as what he says as a woman. So I want to talk about what are the myths about that? What are the facts about transgenderism? One of the things that um, happened for me at a very early age is I didn't realize that I had gotten derailed even before I was conscious. If you've heard my testimony, before I was even conscious, I had already rejected my father as my male role model. What happens, every little boy and girl, they're born with wet cement. They don't know that they're male or female. And so what happens is little boys between the ages of about one and three, they start to realize that they're, they're different than mommy. And if there's a healthy male in the home, doesn't have to be a father, but it helps. It's the way God designed it. If the father is there and he's healthy, then the little boy has to make this transition from the father, I mean the mother to the father. And what happens is then the cement starts to take hold, it starts to harden in masculinity. That's why little boys like to wear baseball caps and cowboy boots like their dad. All of this is healthy masculine uh, affirmation. So between the ages of one and three for me, My father was in the Navy. He was very macho. He was Italian. He was a good-looking guy. And so he'd be gone in the Navy sometimes three to six months at a time. He was providing for his family. But what happened is during that time when I needed to identify with masculinity, he wasn't available. I was raised by a single mother and three sisters. There were no other uncles or men in the family that I could relate to. And so because of the fact that my father wasn't available to me, I identified more with my mother. But then when my father was home... He was abusive. He was uh, verbally abusive. And so as I started to make this transition and realized that I wasn't like my mother, I looked at my father and, and I thought to myself in an unconscious child's mind, I said, if that's what I'm supposed to become, no thank you. I rejected my father's masculinity completely. This was manifested to me when I was 10 years old. I remember when my father took us to the lake to tell us that he was getting a divorce My father had been having an affair with a backslidden Seventh-day Adventist waitress that worked in our restaurant. Yes, that's how the Adventist message came into my home. (laughs) 
So while my sisters and I are sitting in the car, my dad said that my mom and him were getting a divorce, my sisters, they started sobbing and screaming, no, daddy, no, don't go. And I remember that the first thought in my mind was, good, you're out of here. This, to me, is a confirmation that I had already rejected my father even before I was conscious. How does a little boy fix that? I didn't know how to fix it. I couldn't even identify what was wrong. All I knew was that the thoughts inside my mind did not match my body. I played with dolls. I dressed up in my mom and my sister's clothes. I remember watching my sisters get those pretty red shoes and those nice little purses and the frilly dresses, and I remember secretly desiring that I could have that. I remember going to the store and getting my brown loafers or my black school shoes and going to school, and I remember fantasizing that, that if God was really loving, that he would recognize that he made a mistake and that I would pray at night and pray that I would be a little girl when I woke up the next morning. So can you imagine that following somebody for 20 years? For 20 years. They have laws now that actually say that if your child, if your seven-year-old child realizes that they are a little girl trapped in a boy's body, did you know that the state can step in and give that little boy hormones to retard the puberty process so that that child can have the sex change that they desire? If that happened in the 60s, I would have been first in line. But what happened for me is I realized when I turned 20 years old and I came out into gay culture, I realized for the first time in my life what I really wanted, what I really needed, was the affirmation of men. When I went to school, the boys started to see my feminine mannerisms in first and second grade. They started to call me sissy, queer, fag. The Bible says that our words have the power of life and death, and they were pronouncing a judgment on me. I didn't have attraction to the same sex, but I knew that I was different than the other boys. The one thing that I was desperate for was male affirmation, but that's the thing that became the most elusive for me. When puberty comes, the sex that is a mystery becomes the attraction. And so for me, when puberty came, the sex that was a mystery was not female. It was my own. So this became my attraction. I did, again, it was spiraling even deeper. I didn't know how to fix it or change it. I prayed that God would make me straight, but I was praying for the wrong thing. What I needed to be praying was that I would have the intimacy of Jesus Christ and have His blood working in my behalf. I didn't know how to fix this. I still know that God was sincere and was guiding me and watching me. But by the time I was 20 years old, when I came out into gay culture, because I felt like the church had no answers, one of the things that I realized is masculinity was much more valuable than femininity. And if I'd butch it up a little bit, and if I'd work out in the gym, I got all the attention from men that I ever wanted, and I finally, for the first time in my life at 20 years old, I was finally satisfied with being a male. Can you imagine the damage that would have been done if I was that little boy that had a sex change when I was 12 or 13 years old? Can you imagine the confusion that that would have caused me? Because remember, man judges the outside, but God judges the heart. God knew that this was a heart issue for me, and that had to be addressed. And while it took 40 years, even, even though I'm 55 years old, I still find some of the struggles that were apparent when I was young, they still come up. But the one thing that I recognize is that God took responsibility for the damage that happened to me even before I was conscious. And while I didn't ask for this thing, and I didn't want this thing, the one thing that I recognize is what I thought was my greatest curse is now my greatest blessing because it's shown me the power and the magnitude of God. And so when we accept homosexuality as God's blessing to men and women, what we're saying is that Jesus just isn't strong enough to change you or to help you. That's straight from the Satan. Because Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the one that addresses the pain 
He didn't just smooth it over and just give me heterosexual desire because he knew my problem was much deeper than that. And what he did is he went deeper and he started to address the rejection from my father and the kids in school and all the lovers that I took in my sexual addiction for 20 years. And while it's been a process, and wouldn't it be nice if God just took a magic wand and said, bing, now you're straight, right? Go date, mate, procreate, but that wasn't what I needed. What I needed is I needed a loving God who was going to be faithful to me, far more faithful to me than I was to Him. And as He led me out, He started to show me that He had something beyond anything that I could ever imagine that was even possible for me. How are we doing with this? Help. So I have some really incredible pictures. Maybe, maybe it's not necessary for you to see them. So we have in, in our... Um, in our media today, one of the first transgender people that I remember was Chastity Bono. Does anyone know of her? Him? Chastity Bono now had a sex change and became Chaz. All right, Cher, a very popular, you know, musician, a singer. I remember growing up with her. And it was her daughter that was born. They would actually have this little cute blonde pigtail girl in their videos. And so now as she's grown up, she realized that she was this man trapped in a girl's body she went through the extensive surgery. She had her breasts removed. She had her privates uh, uh, altered and mutilated to resemble more of what male anatomy is. And she's been on strong, very strong hormones. And she's going to have to take these for the rest of their li her life. So what that's done is that now has impaired her health. She's mutilated her body to appear more masculine. But the sad reality is, is her DNA still is female. You can mutilate the body, but it doesn't change your DNA. They've done extensive studies on the brains of transsexuals and also um, men and women that have heterosexual attraction and, and I'm sorry, and have normal uh, gender identities. And what they found is that no matter what they did to the body physically, that it didn't change the mind, that the mind was still wired to be either male or female. God in his word, he said, I made the male and female. He was very specific. As a matter of fact, God even said, it's an abomination for men to wear women's clothes and women to wear men's clothes. And why? Because he said that the distinction was necessary. Not only was it necessary, as he said, it was a blessing. And for somebody like me who struggled with my own identity, it was not a blessing to me to struggle with feeling like I was a woman or a female trapped in a male body. But that God's word, I believe, now is true. And that as I learn to surrender my thoughts, my feelings, my history, my attractions, as I started to empty myself, then the Lord was able to finally start filling me with the good things. And I want to talk about that and share some quotes with you. Oh, this is a really great picture. We were in uh, Austria last year, and it was amazing. <laughs> I was actually blown away. Listen, I was in gay bars for 20 years. I saw men dress as women and women dress as men, and so there was really nothing you could shock me with. But when we went to Austria just in March, all of a sudden they were showing us uh, the European Union has this, has this contest, right? Song of the Year, they call it. And so this, this person that won the contest, his name is Conchita Wurst, and it's, it's a guy that dresses as a woman, and he's very beautiful, and he looks very feminine, except he's got this really strong, chiseled beard. So here you see this bearded woman in this beautiful sequin gown with this long, flowing hair, and she actually won this, this European contest. And I'm like, really? Really? And they were so proud of her. Anyway, I had some really funny pictures of her. Not funny, but that's just her reality. You know, what we have is this another situation in the media. We have a woman named Yvonne. 
uh, Bushbaum. I don't know if you've heard of her, an, Olympia, uh, an Olympian, and she actually was uh, stripped of her medal because she was on steroids. As a matter of fact, she eventually went on to become a male. She had the surgery to alter her gender. I was walking through the airport in Chicago, and uh, they have this, there's a very famous cosmetic company called MAC, M-A-C. They have a huge, huge billboard in the airport, and it actually showed pictures of men wearing the makeup dressed in, in drag. What that did for me is it started to show me the, the infiltration of this gender blending in our society. One of the things, did you know that Satan represents himself as male and female? He represents himself as androgynous. As a matter of fact, many pagan gods are represented as androgynous. So doesn't it make sense that the enemy, at the end of time, is going to represent himself as blurring the lines of male and female of the distinction? And I believe, I believe that everything that Satan does is to counter the good things that God has given to us. There's also another woman that also does um, makeup tips on YouTube, and I had a picture of this cute little boy about three years old with blonde hair, and now it shows his transformation as this beautiful-looking woman that actually gives makeup tips on the Internet. There's another guy. He um, actually cross-dresses at work, so one day he shows up as a female, and then one day he'll show up as a man. And he says this, he says, but there is real value in allowing employees to bring their authentic selves to work, whether they be gender variant, gay, women, Sikh, or simply eccentric. Companies are beginning to understand such openness increases employee engagement, discretionary effort, and productivity while developing an inclusive culture within the workplace that benefits retention and recruitment. So this guy is saying is like, all right, well, we... we prescribed to the dress code that's been provided. So if you show up as a woman, you have to go by the dress code for the women. And if you decide to show up at work as a male, you have to honor the dress code for men. And so the new, you know how you have Mr., Miss, Ms.? So now the new definition for someone trans is MX, mix. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Wisconsin High School to unveil gender-neutral homecoming court. Here we have, I, I've seen situations now, I thought there was just one, but now there's several. Several homecoming courts where they actually have transgendered people uh, competing for the title of homecoming queen now. I can play the video or the sound for this. I don't know, Carson, are you still here? Okay. Oh, there you are. All right. How much longer? Any idea? You're waiting on a part to come? Okay. All right. Come on. There's another situation that happened recently. Over 150 students walk out of high school to protest transgender teen using girls' locker room. Did anyone hear about that? Just happened a couple weeks ago. Here it is, as the government stepped in and said that if you have a transgender in your school, that they have the right, even if they have male genitalia, they have a right to use the girls' locker room to shower and to change with all the other girls because they identify inside as female. Can you imagine the damage that we're allowing? I, what if somebody that's a perpetrator comes in pretending to be transgendered? Imagine the situation, right? And so 150 students walked out of this high school, but the government is still standing by this law and insisting that even though the high school provided a, a gender-neutral bathroom for this person to use, 
that the government is insisting, oh, no, 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 you let this person go into the girls' locker room with all the other girls and shower and change. Do you see the confusion that's happening in the world? There's another, there's a reality show about a young woman or a man that actually had a sex change, so that he's got his own reality show. Let's see what his name is. Jazz? Jazzing it up as a YouTube star. There's also another uh, person who actually became the number one top model on uh, Tyra Banks' show, right? Next supermodel or something. Another transgender person. We have a situation of a young girl who changed her name to Jamie, and, and I actually have a video clip showing the transformation as she started to take not only these expensive, but physically altering uh, hormones to change her physical identity. What's amazing to me is that these transformations are so convincing that I had no idea just how convincing that they were. And when you see these images, it's so confusing to think that that was actually a female or a male. As a matter of fact, I got a phone call probably about a year and a half ago. A mother called me, and she said, I'm really concerned for, for my daughter. And I said, okay. And she said, well, my daughter had a sex change, and my daughter was in her mid-20s. She'd, she'd already had a child. The child still calls her daddy because that's how, you know, this child knew him, her. And so she said, I was finally convinced that, that my son needed to be a daughter, so I paid for her sex change. And she said, and even though she has this child that calls her daddy, she said, I'm really concerned for her salvation because she's still attracted to women. I don't know, do you, did you get that? And so when I thought about that, I wasn't really sure how to respond to it, and I thought, wait a minute, you can't change your DNA, it's still male. And so the attraction, there was nothing wrong with the attraction, what was wrong was something far deeper, and that was inside the head thinking that they needed to express themselves as this female, other than the body that they had as a male. So do you see the confusion that it causes? Another woman called me and she was working at a prison. Her husband had left her. She had four or five kids. She, uh, there was a guard that worked there that, that she was talking to and he was, uh, they came uh, together, they had a date. Next thing you know, she found herself in bed with him. And the next morning she woke up and realized, well, after he confessed that he was actually a female. And she said, how could I have had sex with somebody that I thought was male, and it was a female, and now she, she says, am I gay because I had sex with this person that I thought was a male that turned out to be a female? And remember, if you heard our, our meetings last year, we were talking about the superglue of what premarital sex does, right? It bonds you to that person in emotional, physical, and spiritual ways. And so here she was bonded, she had attraction for this person, but the confusion came as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian because she compromised not only the standard, but now she found herself attracted to a woman that she thought was a man. Wow, things are getting pretty messed up, aren't they? And so for me, growing up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that there were no males around as I was growing up. As a matter of fact, my grandmother was still having children while my mom was having children. So I've got a picture of seven of us kids. I'm the only male stuck right in the middle. I've got a sister older than me and two aunts older, and then I've got an aunt younger than me and two sisters younger than me. And here you see this picture of this poor boy stuck in the middle with all these girls. It was almost like I had no choice. So I have pictures of the process. You can actually see, you know, I was really into my hair. Maybe that's why God took it, because I was so into my hair. I had this beautiful wavy hair. And so I had some pictures to show you of some of the 
feminization of what I'd gone through, some of the mannerisms that I had developed in my, in my gender identity. I also wanted to mention that there is no formula for why someone is transgendered. You can't just say, well, if they had this, and if they had this, and this, and this, and this, they're transgender. And I think that that's one of the things that we look for as Adventist Christians. How did this thing happen? And I think that that's a genuine, um, a genuine question. And again, I want to remind you, keep your questions and text them so that we can put them together and answer them for you on Sabbath. But one of the things that happened for me didn't happen for Wayne. Wayne Blakely also had gender dysphoria because he had been rejected by his birth mother. She broke his arm twice in two places on two separate occasions before he was two years old. Can you imagine that kind of rejection? And so here's a little boy who was told by his mother, you're no good as a boy, you should have been a girl. So here you take this two-year-old that's removed from the home, and all of a sudden he's placed into another home, and imagine this little kid running around the house saying, I'm no good as a boy, I should have been a girl. Even though the damage was given to him by a female, already had been set in motion in this little boy's mind that he had to be female to be worthy or to be accepted or to be loved. So you can start to see that there is no formula for why some people have same-sex attraction. And so try not to pigeonhole anybody that you find in a situation like that. But we are going to address how you can reach them, how you can relate to them, and how you can show them something beyond anything that they've experienced and their limitations. God didn't leave me or discard me. In Isaiah 42, 16, it says, And I will bring the blind by a way that they don't know. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do to them and not forsake them. All right. And I find that purpose. 47 years old and for the first time in my life, I actually had an attraction for the opposite sex and I said, Lord, what was that? And the Lord told me that that was the process of learning to surrender my cultivated and hereditary tendencies. Oh, yeah, shut it down and then start it up? Okay. Wayne, could you do some interpretive dance while I do this? <laughs> Listen, I saw him do Britney Spears once. It wasn't pretty. So let me go on with the story, now that you have that image in your mind. What was amazing is I was blow-drying this lady's hair in my basement, where my salon is, and the Lord had given me, you know, he'd given me victory over pornography, given me victory over my same-sex attraction. Even though I still struggle with same-sex attraction at times, I recognize that when I feel emasculated, when I feel like I'm not man enough, when I feel put down by other people, what happens is same-sex attraction is pretty strong for me at that time. But what I've learned in this process of admitting and submitting to God is I can go to God and I say, Jesus, will you remind me again that I'm your man? And that I'm not defined by your definition of me, I'm defined by his definition of me. And he said he made me male for a reason and a purpose. And what's amazing is when I claim that, the same-sex attraction goes, and instead what I get is this peace and this abiding presence from the Lord, and it sustains me. Okay? <laughs> now I really have to wing it. And so as we go on, I have a couple of videos to show you about the transformation of these people, but I don't want to leave it there. 
Because that wouldn't be enough for me. If you just showed me the transformation and what, how people mutilate their body through these extensive surgeries, did you know that there's now a classification, a new classification of people out there that actually mutilate their bodies because they don't feel worthy of having two arms and two legs? I can't remember the name of the, the disorder, but it's actually there are people that believe that they shouldn't be able to walk and so they have their legs amputated. There are people that don't believe that they should be able to write with their right arm and so they'll have their right hand amputated. And there are actually doctors that are willing to help them with this disorder. And there's a, a psychiatric community that's saying that they should be honored and accepted for, for this right to remove these body parts and make them, you know, helpless cripples. But I see the connection between the transgender community because we're taking perfectly normal, healthy, and beautiful body parts, and we're distorting them. For a male to have a sex change, you have to take his male genitalia and split it and invert it and make it some kind of this thing that actually resembles female anatomy. As a matter of fact, we met a, young, a, a man that was actually in Austria that had had a sex change. And you know what? I thought that I had it okay. I thought, you know what? I've been through this before. I'm okay. And so as I met this person, I, I remember all of a sudden being moved with this inadequate feeling like, I don't know how to relate to this guy. He was telling me about his extensive surgery. He had a wife and three kids. They left him. Here's this man that's about six foot five with very masculine features, and he's wearing a dress, and he's got his hair wrapped up in a scarf. He's got bumps where his chest would be, but it, he looks like a guy in a dress, and he's talking about how the surgery left him so scarred that he can't even look at himself in a mirror. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, for me, I was thinking that changing my gender would have been a freedom for me, but I'm seeing from this man by his own testimony that for him he was in a private purgatory because now he's not male or female. Now he's stuck in this, this miserable example of what is representative of being female for him, and it's not satisfying him either. Struggling with suicidal thoughts, struggling with helplessness and hopelessness, struggling with anger from a church community that doesn't know how to deal with him and the fact that his wife and kids still go to the same church. And I want to talk about that too. How do we open up the doors of our church to people that struggle with transgenderism? I know that there are churches that are accepting membership of people that are transgendered. How is it that we treat them in church? How do we bring in gay couples that bring in children in our Sabbath schools? How do we minister to them and love them, but yet create an environment of safety and healing? Because safety isn't enough, is it? I was speaking at a university, I was on a, a panel talking about how this university can relate to the homosexuals on the campus. And what was interesting is one of the guys gave me a new perspective. He said, he said, I don't like this idea of creating a safe place on campus. He said, because what that means is if we create a safe place on campus, that implies that the rest of the campus isn't safe. Do you follow me? And so that was when I realized that what the true answer is is truth is really a safe place, isn't it? And so it's not just enough to love individuals, but we have to provide them the truth so that everywhere on the campus can be safe. And listen, we as Christians have a long way to go because you have been guilty of judging. You have been guilty of some of the name-calling because I know that Wayne even grew up with, um, with being teased and derided even in an Adventist school, even by the Bible teacher.
All right, no videos today. That's all right. I'll be animated enough for you. So we as a church community, to create a safe place, not only do we have to provide love, but we also have to provide truth, right? And so by providing truth, listen, that pinched. Do you think that it pinched me when I came into church culture with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction? Do you think that came with conviction when I started to read in the Bible that my behavior was an abomination to God? Now listen, the Bible says that the behavior is an abomination, not the person. And so one of the things that I heard in church culture was that I was an abomination and that there was no hope for me, but nobody was telling me about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 that it says, such were some of you. Which right there says that there's hope. It says that there's change and change is possible. And so what right do we have to tell fellow Christians that, oh no, that's the way God made you and you're just stuck there and that's the way it's going to be? So in Europe, in the European Union, they, they're a little bit more progressive sometimes than we as Americans, but trust me, it's coming this way too. When we were there in Germany, we found that there's this, this website, and the guy that's in charge of the European Union's education system, he's come up with, up with a new program for sex education. And this is what he likes to do. He's saying that from zero to four, he wants to teach children how to masturbate lustfully. He wants to take zero to four-year-olds and put them in a room, and the teacher must excuse herself or himself so that the children can explore lustful masturbation on their own without any judgment. It gets better. So from the years from four to six, he wants to teach them how to engage in homosexual practice. Because you may not know that you're homosexual, but if the teacher will leave the room and allow the boys to be with the boys and the girls to be with the girls, they may be able to discover whether they're gay or not. And thus you know, save them from the damage of what I had to go through with my gender confusion. So from the years of 6 to 9, they want to teach them contraception. And from the years of 9 to 12, they want to teach them about gender orientation. So that if you're between those ages, that you can be put on the hormones to retard the puberty process so that you can have the sex change that you've always desired. And from the years between 12 and 15, they want to help educate you in sexual practice such as uh, BDSM, which is sadomasochism. And that's the educational system. And it's coming this way. There are already people talking about implementing that in our school society. There was a brother who was interpreting for us in Germany. His wife was six months pregnant, and I looked at him and I said, what are you going to do in three years? Because in Germany, at three years old, you have to, by law, bring your kids to school. They have to, by law. You cannot homeschool your kids in Germany. It's against the law. And I asked him, I said, what are you going to do in three years? And he said, well, I hope that Jesus comes before then. I'm thinking, brother, you need another plan. There was a, um, a woman who had a sex shame. Her, na- her name then became Nathan uh, Fehest. I think it's German or Austrian. In the case of Belgian's Nathan, born Nancy, she was allowed to die by lethal injections on the grounds of unbearable psychological suffering. As reported in the Belgian news, Nancy said after the surgery, I was ready to celebrate my new birth, but when I looked in the mirror, I was disgusted with myself. And because of the surgery that she had had, she was so disgusted with herself that she insisted on having a lethal injection, which is legal in Belgium, and she died. A transgender study at the exceptionally high suicide rate 
a whopping 41% of people who are transgender or gender nonconforming have attempted suicide sometime in their lives, nearly nine times the national average, according to a sweeping survey released three years ago. In a new study released on Tuesday, researchers dug deeper into the number, analyzing the results of the National Transgender Discrimination Survey to examine what puts transgender people at such exceptionally high risk. There's a man that was actually riding his motorcycle, and he was stung by a bumblebee, and it started to change his X and XY chromosomes. Can you imagine that? I don't even know how that happened. But eventually, he confessed to his wife that he wanted to have a sex change. So his name is Chloe Prince now. He had a sex change. They have two children together. And so Chloe now is living as a woman. And, and, and Chloe's wife said, as long as you don't have the sex change surgery, I would still be willing to you know, engage in a, in a physical relationship as a marriage, right? She loved this person. She accepted that this person needed this change. Chloe had this exchange. And, and so, anyway, now they're raising two boys that have two mommies, right? So not only is there damage in the relationship between this, this husband and wife that's now wife and wife, but he did indeed have the sex change that he needed to have for himself. And his wife said, that's it. No more physical relationship. I, I can't do this anymore. So they still live together. They're still raising their two boys. What I found really interesting is one of the boys said this, uh, Chloe was hurt when on Mother's Day, uh, Logan, her son, brought a photo from school that was taken without her. Although Renee reassured her, the other woman that was the wife, that it was not intentional. And the giving of Mother Day's cards also causes confusion with Chloe's sons when the boys didn't know which one they should give the card to. The boy said, I just bring it home for both of you guys because I don't know which one to give it to, Logan said. So can you imagine the damage that's going on? Oh, praise the Lord. Somebody praying out there? Thank you, Wayne. Okay, can you help me? Can you come on up? What I did is I restarted it. Oh, okay. It's on digital. It was, it was looking for a digital signal. Something that I lost. Sure. I'm a hairdresser. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so am I. All right. <laughs> fingers the other way. Click it. Come on, God. Yay. Oh, we got it. You can leave it right there. Okay. Yay. Okay. Huh? That's okay. 
So right here, this is Chloe after his sex change. These are the children that are confused by the parents, his father's transgenderism. Perfect. So what about transgendered parents? This husband and wife here, this is actually a person that used to be a female that's now living as a male. And this is a person that used to be a male that's living as a female. When you're a child, your How about mom this? and dad are the entire universe. Can and I get some more volume? The universe is expanding. Just this week, the lead actor in Transparent played the transgender father one All the way. Golden Globe. And two little boys in Kentucky are part of this expanding world. Their transgender parents have endured more than most to find each other and to bring them into the world. A mom and dad who haven't told their neighbors they weren't born this way, haven't told them, that is, until tonight. On the surface, the Bowsers may look like an ordinary family. Do we have tomatoes? There's mom, Bianca, age 32. Dad, Nick, he's 27. And their two rambunctious toddlers, Kai, aged three, and Pax, 17 months. But in their wildest dreams, these two parents never imagined that they would get to enjoy this kind of ordinary. Because behind her long black hair and feminine figure, Bianca was born a boy named Jason. And despite his cropped hair and the whisper of a mustache, Nick was born a girl named Nicole. So what about church for a family like this? What if they came into your church? And I can already see the expression on your face. Would you be good enough as a Christian to be able to hide that expression when somebody walked into your church like this? What about somebody who doesn't understand the graces of Jesus Christ, who doesn't even know who He is or been introduced to Him? How can you, as a representative of what God has for them, take them in without judging them? How is it that you can provide a safe place for them and their family in your church? This is actually a picture of a transgendered woman who actually had a sex change. And this is him as a little girl. This is what we're dealing with in reality. So what is the new normal? So many people go through life and they never deal with their own issues. No matter what the issues are, ours happen to be gender identity. But how many people go through life and just waste an entire life because they never deal with themselves to be who they are? You know, you go through all of this stuff. And you start learning kind of the pressure that women are under all the time about their appearance. I never had until a couple of weeks ago uh, actually a professional come in and do my makeup. What a difference. <laughs> Okay, we're officially off the property. We're out into the world. It's so bright out there. Look at that. Isn't it great that maybe someday you'll be normal? Listen to this part. We Just blend into normal. society. You are normal. Put it this way. I'm the new normal. So this is the message that's being promoted now, not only through the world, but also in the churches. I think that we have a grave misunderstanding in the leadership in our denomination because if we acknowledge people in their transgendered state as being that gender, then what we're doing is we're already opening up the doors to the confusion that God in the Bible says, listen, I made them male and female. There is a definition. There is a separation. And so it's not without compassion that we want to address this issue, but we have to do it not only with love, 
but also truth. Isn't that right? So what's next? Did you know that the Bible, or I'm sorry, Spirit of Prophecy says that there were two institutions that were, that were made in Eden, in a perfect world, right? The two things were marriage and the Sabbath. Ellen White says that when one is under attack, that the other is soon to follow. We already know, if you've been watching current events, you see that there's this promulgation from the Pope and the papacy about Sunday observance. Isn't that right? Is transgenderism a form of rebellion? And I thought about this. In Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator, or I'm sorry, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto God. Listen, I even see that in our academies we have guys that will dress up in drag to do a skit or something for a play. You know, even something like that is repulsive to God, not because, not because of what that person may be struggling with, but for somebody like me that gives the wrong message. Do you understand? That God says that even in its simplest form, even as a joke, that it misrepresents me. What's that Christian um, black actor that dresses in drag that does all these movies? You know him, right? You've seen his movies. And so what are we exposing to ourselves or to, to our families when we're engaging and watching a man that does exactly what God says you shouldn't do, parading around on a screen as the opposite sex? You see, so for somebody that struggled with it like me, what that did is that just made it just a little bit closer to the fire for me. Controversy for its own sake is a sin. But controversy for the sake of the truth is a divine mandate. So again, if we're trying to create this safe environment in our churches, I think that we have to intentionally provide the truth with love. How about this? Here's a man, his name is Walt Heyer, an incredible resource. You can write this down, tradingmysorrows.com. He talks about, here's a man that was actually, his grandmother dressed him as a little girl from the time that she would take care of him as a little baby until he was about seven years old. It was their little secret. And so one day, Walt brought his little dress home, and when his mother found it in his, in his suitcase, she discovered that her mother had been dressing her son up as a little girl for seven years. Walt was already confused, and while it came to his end, an, an end, the grandmother told him that he had betrayed her and that she would never, ever do that again. But already, Walt was set in this motion of thinking that he was no good as a boy that he needed to be a girl. So at 44 years old, Walt had a sex change and indeed became this woman. So imagine now, all of his depression went away for a while. He was married with children. His wife divorced him. His uh, boss fired him, not knowing how to deal with him. And so Walt's depression, even though it was lifted for about a year or two, all of a sudden the depression came back because he realized that even though he had mutilated his body, he still wasn't this woman that he thought he needed to be. But he found Jesus Christ. Listen to this. I invited God to come in and prayer, I'm sorry, I invited God to come and in prayer God came. I could see him, the Lord was dressed in white. He approached me with his arms stretched out and a generous smile on his face. I saw myself as a baby. The Lord scooped me up and said, you're safe with me forever. Tears ran down my cheeks and then a smile came. I was now restored. 
And so not everybody has the opportunity or the, the finances, but Walt actually had a sex change back to become a male. And this is Walt now, 73 years old. And so I just want to remind you that man judges the outside, but God judges the heart. And isn't it a beautiful promise that Jesus promises that when he comes, that our bodies will put on incorruption. Isn't that right? And so what we may have done to our bodies, don't worry, God is still in the business of restoring us completely, no matter what we've done to our bodies, how we've mutilated them, or what we've done with them. And so what's wonderful is Walt has this ministry now addressing some of the issues. He says, what I've learned since that prayer is that there is no female brain in the wrong male body. Current studies do not support the transsexual condition, nor do the current studies support the Harry Benjamin syndrome. When I realized eight years after surgery that the surgeon's knife had no power to change my gender, filled with shame and pain, I turned to the Lord. Here's a source if you want to write that down. This is some conclusions that Walt came to. Many transgendered have coexisting disorders that are not recognized and treated. The Harry Benjamin standards of care, one-size-fits-all approach is incorrect. Too many therapists have blind spots in considering alternative disorders or treatments and patient suicide results. The process of changing genders with hormone therapy and or surgery is not an easy one. Many patients are just not prepared for the difficulties that they will face. goes on to say, studies show that a staggering 30% of transgenders will commit suicide. 41% of transgendered attempt suicide, but 30% will actually succeed. Those are the highest statistics among any studied group of people. The gender pushers say that transgenders are born that way, but a 2011 study from Sweden suggests that they are not. In this study, researchers Savick and Arver of Sweden report that the present data do not support the notion that brains of male to female transsexuals are feminized. It's foolishness allowing and even demanding that a surgeon mutilate your body. It's shameful and painful and not effective. Surgery cannot correct a psychological sickness. Are you starting to get this connection? That the issue was inside my mind, not with my body. God made my body, and I was going against nature, thinking that my body had to comply with what was inside my brain. In my view, the gender came, change pushers intentionally refused to, refused to warn would-be transgendered about the 50-50 chance of disaster, and that's about the attempted suicide. Transgenders are attempting suicide at an alarming rate, reported over 40% by Clara Maskowitz. A staggering 40% of transgender people in the U.S. have attempted suicide, according to a new survey. Dropping down to here, that 41% suicide rate among transgender people is more than 25 times the rate of the general population, which is 1.6%. And among trans people ages 18 to 44, the suicide attempt rate was 45%. These statistics are just some of the sobering findings from a survey of more than 7,000 transgender people conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality and the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force released in October of 2010. So this is done, this study was done by people that are supportive of transsexual um, rights. Christ Object Lesson says, do you ask what shall I do to be saved? You must lay your preconceived opinions, your hereditary and cultivated tendencies at the door of investigation. If you search the scriptures to vindicate your own opinions, you will never reach the truth. Search in order to learn what the Lord says. If conviction comes as you search, if you see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the truth, do
Do not misinterpret the truth in order to suit your own belief, but accept the light that's given. Open mind and heart that you may behold wondrous things out of God's word. He's not your enemy. Christian Education, page 149. Whoever shall give away to his natural feelings and impulses makes himself weak and untrustworthy. For he is a channel through which Satan can communicate to taint and corrupt many souls. And these unholy fits that control the person unswerve him and shame and confusion are the sure result. The Spirit of Jesus Christ ever has a renewing, restoring power upon the soul that has felt its own weakness and fled to the unchanging one who can give grace and what? Power to resist evil. Amen. Christian Education, page 122. Those who become the followers of Christ find that new motives of action are supplied. Are you following me? New thoughts arise and new actions must result. But they can make advancement only through conflict. Wayne, were you in conflict as you came back to the Lord? Danielle, did you suffer conflict when you came back to the Lord? Penny, who never struggled with homosexual uh, attraction, did you struggle conflict when you came back to the Lord? Because each one of us do, no matter what you struggle with. It might be smoking, it might be alcohol, it might be your own sexual desire, but we all struggle, isn't that right? For there is an enemy that ever contends against them, presenting temptations to cause the soul to doubt and sin. Besides this ever-vigilant foe, there are hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil that must be overcome. The training and education of a lifetime must often be discarded that the Christian may become a learner in the school of Christ and in him who would be a partaker of the divine nature. Appetite and passion must be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. There is to be no end to this warfare, this side of eternity. But while there are constant battles to fight, there are also, I love this part, precious victories to gain. Amen. And the triumph over self, sin, and sin is of more value than the mind can estimate. The effort put forth to overcome, though requiring self-denial, is of little account beside the victory over evil. This guy's a little bit abrupt. But I hope that you'll see past that and that I hope that you'll see the experience that he has with the Lord. You look at me now, I'm back to being who God wanted me to be as a man. And it doesn't really matter what I got between my legs because uh, no one's going to see it anyway. And uh, I, I've been reading my Bible every day and all I could hear was God saying, well, you really need to go back to being who I made you. And your story is great, but just don't do it as a girl because you're not a girl. And I know that. It just tears me up to think that, that, that I did all this. And uh, I, I was a phony. I was a fraud. But I tried pulling it off. And, and, and people, people called me ma'am and, and, and she and her. And, you know, I had my long hair. I didn't wear much makeup. As you can see, I got lip liner. I had the eyebrows tattooed, which now I got to live this way. But it's a great testimony. And uh, I just want to try to help someone else before they make the same mistake I did. Everybody I told I was getting a sex change and blah, 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 they all said, oh, if that's what, if that's what you think is right, then go ahead and do it. You know, if, if, if you feel good, feel good about it, you know, if that's what you want, go, go do it. And uh, how can that happen when you're supposed to be accountable for your brothers and sisters and help them out, according to what I read? And uh, they didn't do it. They did not do it. And to this day, they thought I was going to be a disgrace to them. 
That's why they didn't do anything. They just told me to, there's the door. I said, okay, you know. But I always thought I needed to be important. And that, that's another reason all the tattoos and the, the piercings, I thought, uh, oh, I'm going to be somebody someday. Uh, I want to be famous, you know. But now I do want to be famous, but I want to be famous for God. Man. And I want to I take everybody down the path that needs help. Please listen to this because without the Lord, you'll have nothing. You'll have nothing. You know, he's the... He's the vine and we're the branches and we can do nothing without him. Isn't that powerful? The word of God often comes in collision with man's hereditary and cultivated traits of character and his habits of life. But the good ground here in receiving the word accepts all, accepts all of its conditions and requirements. His habits, customs, and practices are brought into submission to God's word. In his view, the commands of finite, erring man sink into insignificance beside the word of the infinite God. With how much of the heart? With the whole heart. With undivided purpose, he is seeking the life eternal, and at the cost of loss, persecution, or death itself, he will obey the truth. So how should we respond as a church? How to relate to those that we don't understand? How do we create a safe place in our churches. I love this quote by Greg Boyle. It says, you stand with the belligerent, the surly, and the badly behaved until bad behavior is recognized for the language that it is. It's the vocabulary of the deeply wounded and of those whose burdens are more than they can bear. And while that might take months or even years, do we as Christians have the strength and tenacity to stand with somebody faithfully side by side until God is able to do the refining work that he needs to do in each one of us. So on a Friday, I was 13 years old. I was coming home from school. My mom was kind of off the deep end. My mom was sleeping around a lot, and she, she had a new boyfriend. And so on Friday afternoon, getting off the bus, and I was running home, I fell and I broke my arm. So I come home on Friday. There my mom comes home from work, and her new boyfriend is with her, and here I am on the sofa, and I'm complaining that I broke my arm. I thought I broke it. And my mom says, no, you just sprained it. You'll be okay. And so I didn't see my mom again until Sunday afternoon. I'm still on the sofa. The whole weekend, there I am on the sofa with his broken arm. And so my mom's new boyfriend guilted my mom and said, listen, you know, for a 13-year-old kid to be on the sofa all weekend, there must be something wrong. You should probably take him to the ER. She took me to the ER, and indeed, my arm was broken. And it took actually three and a half months for my arm to mend because it didn't get the necessary treatment that it needed right away. I believe that that's what we're doing as a church if we accept homosexuality and transgenderism as a gift from God. That what you're allowing to do is you're allowing this person to lay on the sofa with, with their brokenness, with no medical attention. Listen, the one thing that I love about Jesus as the great physician is we come to him as we are. And some of us, through our hereditary and cultivated tendencies, we have this big gaping sore, right? Now follow me if you would. This big gaping sore, but it healed over, but there's an infection on the inside. And that infection is growing. And what happens to the infection is eventually it gets into the bloodstream. It starts to affect the, the head and the heart, right? 
But we come to Jesus as we are, not knowing how to fix it, not knowing how to get rid of the infection that's inside, but as we submit ourselves to the very careful knife of the great physician, he has to reopen that wound. And you can imagine how painful that is. He's got to reopen that wound, and then he's got to clean out all of the infection. And as he cleans out the infection, it's quite a process. It's not an overnight thing. And then he has to allow it to heal from the inside out. It's a very slow process, but the great physician checks it, and he keeps it clean, and he watches it. And he addresses every issue until that, that hole is able to heal from the inside out. Now, there might be a scar... And we talk about our residue in this ministry. My scar might be the fact that I still have some effeminate mannerisms. But you know, a scar is still a sign of healing. Isn't that right? And so if we recognize that this is going to be a process, and if we can not only in love but in truth support our brothers and sisters that we don't understand their journey, but you know what? Sometimes I don't understand yours either. And we all have issues and if you'll walk with me, I'll walk with you. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that sound like the nurturing kind of churches that, that we could all be a membership, in membership of? The new birth consists of having new motives, new tastes, and new tendencies. I can't do that on my own. But as I've submitted to God and to the cleansing that He provides, I've experienced some of those new attractions and new tendencies. Those who are begotten into a new life by the Holy Spirit have become partakers of the divine nature and in all their habits and practices they'll give evidence of their relationship to Christ. For the sake of time. Real love doesn't leave people trapped in their helpless state or require that they mutilate their bodies to keep them trapped in their pain. Real love understands the process of addressing the pain deeper than the physical boundaries of gender and resolving the issues so that the person can fully experience their true identity that is in Christ to be the fulfillment of who you were truly intended to be. This is a story about Cy Rogers, an incredible testimony. The first testimony of a man that came from homosexuality 15 years ago when I watched this testimony, I was in shock that a man that effeminate could call himself a redeemed Christian. But as I watched Sai's story and realized that he lived as a woman for a year and a half, he was in line to have the sex change surgery, but God met him where he was and eventually got married. He has children and grandchildren, and he's a powerful example of what God can do in someone's life. And that was when I began to walk with Jesus legitimately. Incredible story. The, table. the pain is real, but the process is incomplete. Transgenderism only covers up the deep pain that is within and the pain that is never addressed, then there's no resolution. But Jesus provides healing as a great physician to go deep and at a pace that we can handle. And instead of mutilating the body, he heals the soul, provides love and patience and an environment of healing that goes deeper than the scalpel and resolves the history and cultivated tendencies. True healing requires pain. But in the end, beyond the scarring, the healing is complete. Varied were the circumstances. This is from Ministry of Healing, page 17. Varied were the circumstances and the needs of those who sought his aid, and no one who came to him went away unhelped. From Christ flowed a stream of healing power, and in body, mind, and soul, men were made whole. So what is the truth about God? 
And I don't know why, but this quote follows me in every presentation that I have because its application, I think, runs deep. Where are these quotes? Why aren't we sharing these quotes with those that we don't understand? And maybe some of you in this room need to hear this yourself. It says the divine teacher, in the book of education, page 20, it says the divine teacher bears with the erring through all their perversity. Why? Because his love does not grow cold. His efforts to win them do not cease. With outstretched arms, God waits to welcome again and again and again and again the erring, the rebellious, and even the apostate. His heart is touched with the helplessness of the little child who's been subject to rough usage. The cry of human suffering never reaches his ear in vain. Though all are precious in his sight, it's the rough, the sullen, and the stubborn dispositions that draw most heavily upon his sympathy and love. Why? Because he traces from cause to effect. The one who's most easily tempted and the one who's most inclined to err is the special focus of his attention. Isn't that beautiful? And so what that means is that God doesn't just look at the outside. He recognizes that what happened to you didn't happen to anybody else. And the way to reach you is going to be different than the way he's going to reach somebody else. But he's willing and patient to address your issue if you'll just submit your need to him. And I'll tell you, it's quotes like this that actually keep me connected to a loving Savior that I can trust and know that he's going to see it to completion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you work. I thank you, Lord, for restoring the video, Lord, just in time. You are just in time. Lord, I thank you that the enemy has been defeated. I cut my head open, Lord, with a cheap razor because my bag was lost. Wayne didn't even have his computer until last night, Lord. His luggage was gone. Ron has a flooded basement. And I don't even know what Danielle's issues are, Lord, but I'm sure she has some too. But Lord, the one thing that I know is that when the stuff happens, Lord, around us, that that's a sign to me that I know that you're about to work mightily. So Lord, let these words sink into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, help us to recognize the damage and the danger of allowing our friends to lie on the sofa, Lord, with a broken arm. And Lord, while it requires pain for each one of us, that our issue may not be an issue of transgenderism, but Lord, we all have them. And if we just come together, Lord, not in a condescending way, but in a way, Lord, where we recognize that we are all fallen creatures, and if we walk with each other, Lord, and support the truth that is only found in Jesus Christ, then Lord, let your power begin in our lives. And as that power works in our lives, Lord, then let it be a beacon of light to those who are lost, those who are hurting, and those that need to know your love too. Bless us, Lord. Keep, be with us. And I pray, Lord, that you be with Wayne and with Danielle and Ron, Lord, as they bring their presentations today as well. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have testimonies today and tomorrow. And I pray, Father, that for the questions that each one of us have in this room, Lord, that you will answer them by the end of this program. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.